Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Micah. If I haven't met you before, it's a, a joy and an honor to be with you to worship our God today. And uh, we are going to be continuing our study in the book of Hebrews. So if you guys have your Bibles, you can turn there. And we are going to have some more fun looking at Jesus as the greatest of all time. And we've been looking at various capacities, how Jesus is the greatest. And this morning, we're going to be looking at how Jesus is our greatest priest, which we'll get into a little bit. Uh, but to begin, let me just ask you a simple question. Who here has ever attempted to do something they were not able to do? What are some of those examples? We could go on for a long time, I'm sure. But as we think about things that we want to do but we can't do, uh, really that's going to dive into our discussion of what it means to understand Jesus as a priest. Now, I remember uh, an example of this was uh, my, my Uncle John, when we were living in Langley, he gave me my first motorcycle, and I was so excited to have it. He basically lent it to me, and he said, use this as long as you need it. But of course, sometimes when someone lends you something, it's not always in the best shape, right? And as he gave me this motorcycle, I began to realize there's all these issues with it. I wanted to repaint the tank, and so I started sanding some rusty spots, and guess what started to happen? A bunch of gas started pouring out. <laughs> there was a big hole in the tank. Uh, I started to try and use the clutch. It was a wet clutch, and he didn't put any fluid in it, so guess what? The clutch wasn't working on the motorcycle. So I had to do like running starts at first before I fixed the clutch. Uh, I remember going to do my uh, lessons for my motorcycle test, and usually by the time I got down to where I was taking the test, my front tire would be half flat. And so I'd always fail as soon as I showed up. It was very stressful. But I had all these issues with this motorcycle, but I have no mechanical inclination. And so I had no idea how to fix it. And so guess what I needed? I needed someone to help me fix it. And this is where my brother-in-law came in. Rebecca's brother is a heavy-duty mechanic, and I basically said, I have no idea how to fix this motorcycle. I feel like I'm going to die every time I drive it. Could you please help me? And he came along, and he did a bunch of mechanical stuff on it, helped me fix it, taught me how to repair the tank that had a hole in it, and uh, just really began this process of repairing this motorcycle on my behalf. Now, why do I bring that up? Because when we think of a priest, usually in our modern context, we have no idea what we're talking about with the language of priest, do we? Um, men, some of you might have grown up in a Roman Catholic background, so you have maybe a modern-day church understanding of what a priest is, similar to a pastor. Uh, some of you have spent time studying the Old Testament, and you realize a little bit more about what a priest was in the Old Testament. But when we look at our modern context, we really have no connection, in our understanding at least, of an Old Testament priest and their roles and responsibility. But to simplify this, let me bring it up in terms of the motorcycle. When we need someone to mediate on our behalf, that is ultimately what a priest is doing. The role of a priest was to mediate, to be the mediator between you and something that is broken, that needs reconciliation, that needs repair, that needs renewal. And so as we go into this discussion of priests, I don't want you to think that this is disconnected from our modern day experience, that it's disconnected from our life, because if Jesus wants to de describe one of his greatest identity markers as a priest, 
then there's something seriously important that we have to take into account. There's something that we have to be able to understand to realize that Jesus is a priest. And so before we go into that specific, what, what are some other things in life that you can think of that need a mediator, that needs something that is broken to come between and to reconcile it and repair it? So a mechanic would be an obvious example, but what are some other things that we can think function as mediators in our culture and society, just before we get into this concept of priest? One at a time. Yeah, a lawyer, we need a lawyer when sometimes when there's a relationship bro broken or a conflict dispute that we can't resolve on our own, we need a lawyer to come and mediate two parties, right? What are some other things? An engineer, right? Something that is broken that needs fixing, something that needs a, a mind that understands how components work to re-engineer or to fix something. Yeah. Yeah, a millwright. In <laughs> what way? <laughs> I'm sort of falling along. Yeah, maybe Millwright could fit in that mediator, right? Computer yeah, computer technician. Whoever gets frustrated with their computers, right, and technology. There's always something going wrong, and 90% of the time we're clueless because technology is moving so fast, we have no idea how to fix a problem. So we call a computer technician and say, fix this for me. I can't do this on my own. I'm going to trash my laptop in five minutes unless you figure out a way to repair and to restore and to reconcile that relationship you have with your, your laptop, right? And so as we think about Jesus as priest... I want you to think in those categories of, of mediation. Because as soon as we begin to realize that we as humans, one of our greatest issues we face is that we are broken, we are flawed, we are sinful, and our relationship with God in and of itself is broken and flawed and sinful, which means that we need something to repair that relationship. We need something to restore that relationship. We are hopeless without it. Just like I was hopeless in repairing my motorcycle unless someone came to help me, right? And so I want us to see that deep connection before we enter into the scripture of understanding Jesus as the greatest priest. And so let's, let's read the, the scriptures together. Uh, Hebrews 4, 14, and we're going to go all the way to 5, 10. And so this is what it says in Hebrews. It says, Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Who is our great high priest? Jesus, amen? Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And this is another way that we have, we have a high priest who knows what's going on in our lives. This doesn't mean that he's experienced every single detail that we have in a life, but this is a God and a high priest who knows what's going on. He knows our brokenness. He knows our hardship. And so verse 16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near. Now, that language is draw near is crucial because that's the big emphasis of priest. A priest allows us to draw near to the presence of God, to be with God. So it says, with confidence we can draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive 
mercy and find grace to help in times of need. And so verse five, or chapter 5 now begins to explain a little bit more of that role of a priest. It says, For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in what? In relation to who? In relation to God. So a priest is a mediator. The, the priest function as that relational mediator between God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. In other words, those earthly priests can identify because they are sinful with us, but Jesus can identify with us because he has lived a life we have without sin. And verse 3 says, Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins just as he does for the sins of the people. So the problem with an earthly priest is every priest we've known throughout history apart from Jesus has what in their life? They have sin. They have their own issues of sin that needs to be dealt with. They're not perfect, right? So he has to make a sacrifice for his own sin as an earthly priest as well. And then at verse 4 it says, And no one takes this honor for himself. In other words, you can't be a self-appointed priest, but only when called by God just as Aaron was. And that's talking about the, the, the premise of the high priest was always in the lineage of Aaron. So verse 5, So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, and he quotes Psalm here, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And he also says in another place, You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And Andrew's going to jump on Melchizedek in chapter 7 soon. Verse 7, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. I'll explain what that means in a little bit. And so what are we talking about when we get to understanding Jesus is a priest? What is going on here? Well, again, keep that language of mediator. And again, we're at this disadvantage because we don't understand the life of the Jews in the Old Testament, but there's some implications that we can understand in our modern context. But first of all, we need to begin with a foundation of how the Jews would have understood this passage. What does it mean to be a high priest in the Old Testament system? Well, a high priest in the Old Testament system was an individual appointed by God to act on behalf of men and women. And again, what do you think their responsibility was? They were mediators, right? They were intercessors. And, and what would they do? What were some of the activities of a priest? They would often offer sacrifice, right, for their sin and the sins of others. And, and so there was this system where they were offering sacrifice, and, and really it was this opportunity to restore that relationship with God so that humans could even interact with God. Now, what was it that was separating people from God? Why couldn't they find a relationship with God in and of themselves? Why did there need to be sacrifice? Because God is 
holy. He's perfect. He's set apart. He can't be in the presence of evil or sin or humanity in their um, disobedient state. And so Isaiah 59, 2 says it like this. It says, your iniquities, in other words, your sin, your imperfection have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you. And so this is the context in which we're talking about. We're talking about the people of Israel and the breach of relationship that sin had created in their life. Now, the principle goes to us as well. What has our sin done in our lives? It's separated us from God. It's kept us from the presence of God. It's kept us from a relationship with God. And so we need a mediator. So then, what does it mean for Jesus to be our high priest then? What does it mean for Jesus to be our high priest? Well, look again at chapter 5, verses 1. <coughs> it says, For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relationship to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. And so here's a pretty beautiful little definition. Here's a beautiful little concept of what it means to be Jesus as a priest. It means he's the one who bridges this gap between two parties and restores and reconciles those two parties. And so even though this seems pretty distinct to us, um, this is really in the ways that we function in many of our natural relationships. Again, my brother-in-law fixing the motorcycle, he became a mediator between that which was broken. And when you think about the state of my motorcycle, it was literally a threat to my life. Like I was probably going to die in that thing, driving on the highway with a flat tire and gas pouring out of the side of the tank, right? It was literally a threat to my life, and yet my brother-in-law stepped in to restore and reconcile that relationship I had with my motorcycle. Now, the question that arises in Hebrews here is, can just anyone be a priest? No. Would you want anyone fixing your vehicle or your motorcycle? No. It's going to have the same problem or someone comes ignorant and doesn't even know engines and they're not going to do anything, right? They're not going to accomplish anything. They're not going to make it better. And in the same way, there's this concept of, of priest that not just anyone could be a priest. There's credentials, there's qualifications, there's things that have to be taken into account. And so even we see in the Old Testament, not anyone could be a priest. Uh, in the first place, you had to be a member of what tribe of Israel? Does anyone know? You had to be a Levite, right? So there's that credential. You also had to be a descendant of the family of Aaron. That's why Aaron's mentioned here. And who is Aaron the brother to? Does anyone remember? Moses, right? Uh, not only that, you have this descendants of Aaron's have this privilege of serving as a high priest. And the high priest, do, does anyone remember what they would wear? They'd wear a breastplate with, with 12 little things, and the 12 things represented what? The 12 tribes of Israel, right? And so this 12 tribes of Israel meant that he was supposed to represent on behalf of all the people this mediation between them and God. And this is why Jesus really actually gets into trouble when he first shows up on the scene. Because as Jesus comes, he begins to function as a priest. 
And all the religious leaders are getting mad at him. Why? Because they think he doesn't have the credentials. And so he's healing people. He's forgiving people's sins. He's doing all these miraculous things. He's functioning as a priest, as a mediator. And the religious leaders say, you can't do this, right? But then he says, no, I'm actually appointed by God because I am God himself. And so Jesus really functions in this beautiful capacity as our high priest. Now, there's a couple things that I want to point out here in Jesus, understand Jesus the priest. The first one is this beautiful aspect that you are a priest forever in the order of what? Melchizedek, right? Melchizedek is a fascinating figure in the Old Testament story. Uh, Chapter 7 is literally all about Melchizedek, and so Andrew's going to cover that in a few weeks, so we're not going to go too in-depth to it. But let me give you a little pre-taste of what this means to be in the order of Melchizedek. Well, there's this problem that all the earthly priests face. There's many of these priests, and this is the problem that chapter 7, verses 23 to 25 says. It says, Now there have been many of these priests... But since death prevented them from continuing in the office, but because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come through him because he always lives to intercede for them. And so the basic premise and the point is very clear. The problem with the old priests is what would happen to all of them? They would all die, right? They were all die. They all had a life expectancy, right? And it prevented them from continuing in that office of a high priest. Like, death does that, right? It, it, it closes things. But here's the beautiful thing he brings out with Jesus in the line of Melchizedek. It says, but because there is one whom death did not destroy. Why? Because Jesus raised from the dead, amen? Because death did not destroy Jesus, Jesus lives forever, There is a hope in a high priest that's not temporary, but eternal. One for which our hope is permanent because he actually lives forever. A high priest who's always interceding for us, always praying for us, always acting on our behalf, who's always available to mediate between us and God, who is always ready, never tired, forever capable, always allowing a possibility to save those who come through him. So therefore, Jesus is the greatest priest in that reality that he's the one who overcame sin and the power of sin and death by raising from the dead so he can be the eternal priest acting on our behalf. And so when Hebrews 5 brings up like what are the qualifications of Jesus to be the greatest priest, it says he's uniquely qualified to be a priest on behalf of us as sinful mortal beings because he is inconquerable and he conquered sin and death on our behalf so that we could be restored in relationship to God forever. Amen? It's beautiful. Uh, another thing that Hebrews 5 brings out is this, is, is Jesus is the greatest priest because he is sinless. And so when you think about the role of a priest, uh, priests are supposed to mediate on behalf of broken people, on behalf of sinful people to a perfect God. And they, they stand before a, a God of righteousness and holiness and justice And they stand between people who are broken and sinful and rebellious and morally compromised. 
and they become this mediator. But the problem they all face as priests is what category are they in? They're in the sinful category. They're in the rebellious category. They're in the broken category. And, and so God tells us over again in the story of Scripture that this would never solve the problem. There would have to come someone who is a priest who is perfect, who is eternal, who is greater to intercede on behalf of the people. And so Jesus is really the only one who can fix this brokenness of humanity. And so underneath all this idea then is, is understanding this premise that, that first of all, Jesus is really the only mediator between us and God who can actually repair anything, who can actually fix anything, who can actually restore anything. And, and so realizing that we as humans come to the, the premise that we are broken, we are morally fractured, there's something inherently wrong with us. I mean, that's a core understanding of, a, of why we need a priest. Now, here's where we push back, get pushed back from our culture a little bit. Uh, who likes to admit that there's something wrong with them? None of us like to, right? We like to go through this life and say, you know what, I'm doing pretty good. Sure, I make some mistakes, but there's nothing really wrong with me. I can get through this life and I can decide what I want to worship and what I want to live for and I can make my own understanding of, of who God is and all these things and we have a very corrupt view of ourselves at times. But the, the, the deep storyline of the Bible and even the deep storyline of history is that humanity is not okay. Humanity is not okay. I mean, we're witnessing that in the world all around us right now. There's so much injustice and evil. There's, there's so much brokenness. There, there's so much uh, turmoil and chaos, not just in individual lives, but the very structures and systems of humanity. And we realize then there, there's, there's something about us as humans that we have tried since forever to try and fix, and we have been hopeless in it, haven't we? We've never been able to restore ourselves. We've never been able to fix ourselves. We've never been able to fix cultures and societies and structures and systems. The story of humanity is a story of broken people, isn't it? And it doesn't even take long to study history to realize that. And, and, and I think this is important because we, we need to realize that we are so broken, there's no possible way that we could fix it on our own. And we are so broken before our God and our Creator that there's only one possible way to find restoration and redemption is through the one who created us. And so when you, when you process this, it becomes very crucial. Uh, I remember uh, recently I was talking to uh, a guy who just graduated from AA, Alcoholics Anonymous. And I was congratulating him. I was encouraging him on his journey. Um, but the thing with Alcoholics Anonymous is, is as they deal with the 12-step program and they talk about God, they, they, they reference it. It started as a Christian organization, but it turned into just a concept of a higher power. In other words, you get to create your own definition of God. As long as you understand there's a higher power above you, you'll be able to go through these 12 steps and you'll be able to move forward and you'll be able to find recovery. 
And, and it's worked in many ways, and it's beautiful, but the, the problem that we, we face still in light of it is, is that it doesn't fix the ultimate issue. If you go through life and you overcome some addiction, guess what's still going to happen at the end of your life? You're going to die, and you still have to face God, Right? And who's the mediator between that relationship? And so our understandings of God can't just be subjective. They, they can't be defined by ourselves. Our understanding of God has to come from himself and teaching us how to mediate that. And so the beautiful thing is that, that Jesus actually meets us in our moral brokenness. And he meets us in the brokenness of our lives. And he actually has the power and the authority to heal that which is broken because he is the author of it. He is the creator of it. He's the only one who's able to do it. If you could trust anyone to fix your motorcycle, would it not be the one who engineered and designed it and created it? If there's anyone credentialed or authoritative to fix those things, that is it. It's the same with our relationship with God. If there's anyone who has the power and the ability to actually fix our relationship with God, it's the one who created us, our creator, God himself. And so here's the beauty. Jesus sees our brokenness before we even realize it. And Jesus is this priest who comes to us and he's a priest who enters into our brokenness. And he's a priest who actually comes and enters into our hardship and our pain and our sorrow as humanity and actually comes to repair and restore it. Now, could you imagine if you called a mechanic and you said, I need you to come fix my vehicle? And he came, but he refused to look under the hood of the car. <laughs> if you <laughs> refuse to look at the engine, you would say, you're not credentialed to do this. You have no idea what you're talking about. You haven't even looked or experienced the problem yet. And yet Jesus, we see as an example of someone who enters into our world. He humbles himself as God to enter into our brokenness and pain and sorrow and actually took on humanity and flesh so that he could restore and reconcile and heal us. And so this passage, especially in 4.15, talks about how Jesus can sympathize with us in our weakness. He faced temptation like us. He entered into that pain and sorrow of humanity. And yet, he overcame it and through it is raised to life and restored as the greatest high priest today. And this is good news for us. Why? Because we need a priest who is always available in our brokenness. Again, you could know a great mechanic, but if every time you call them they don't show up, what good is that going to be? You can have a great mechanic, but if they die, how are they going to help you anymore, right? Whereas this beautiful reality about Jesus as priest is coming to the realization that he has a perfect sacrifice that lasts for eternity. And he is always available for us in our brokenness to always restore and reconcile us. And so this passage in Hebrews tells us that we can actually do something profound. We can walk into boldly the presence of God. 
the presence of a holy God because of what Jesus has done for us. And so because Jesus is our high priest, we can draw near to God and he will draw near to us. In our time of need, when we're suffering the greatest, when we're hurting the worst, when Jesus is willing to be closest to us even in those times of brokenness. It's a beautiful gift that we have, Jesus as priest. And so when we are at our greatest need in life, when we are at our deepest brokenness, Jesus is willing to enter into that. And Jesus does enter into that, and he meets our greatest need. And so I'm just going to invite us for a time of, of prayer and reflection, because this is, this is a concept that if, if we can understand intellectually Jesus as priest, but unless we allow it to penetrate our hearts and our minds, we're really missing out on the substantial nature to know Jesus as priest. And so I'm just going to invite you to bow and pray with me for a little bit. And what I want you to be praying on and focusing on is, is first of all, if you're someone here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you don't know Jesus, but maybe you recognize some of that brokenness in your life. Maybe you recognize some of that uh, guilt and shame that you cannot overcome. You maybe recognize some sinful behaviors and patterns that you can't overcome. You may recognize some flawed understanding of yourself or of others. Uh, Jesus is that priest who will come to you and restore you and to reconcile you who is available for you. And all you have to do is cry out to him and say, Jesus, you died for my sins so that I could be restored. You died for me so that I could be reconciled to my creator, to my God. And maybe you're someone now who maybe you've been a Christian for a while. Uh, maybe this is what you need to pray. Um, God, um, you know what? I've become self-righteous where I feel like I can fix my own problems. And I don't cry out to you in desperation anymore. I don't seek after you to bring healing and restoration in my life. I need to come before you and allow you to be my priest that you're my only hope for being restored to God. And so I'm invite you guys to bow your heads, just pray for a little bit, enter into that conversation with God, whatever it looks like, then I'm going to close us in a time of prayer. So just go into contemplation, have a conversation with God now.
gracious Father, we come before you recognizing that we are broken people who live in broken systems of humanity. And we are so hopeless and helpless on our own. We recognize the brokenness in and of ourselves and our desires and attempts to fix it that become fruitless and in vain. Lord, we as humans have tried throughout history to fix the patterns of evil and injustice, but we have simply not been able to. Because you are our only hope. You are the only priest who could finally restore that relationship between us and our Creator. Who could finally give us access to the healing and restoration and renewal and holiness that we need as humans. And so we praise you, Jesus, that you are our priest who is eternal, that you are our priest who is sinless, that you are our priest who intercedes on our behalf constantly. And so, Lord, I pray for those in this room, Lord, that need a renewed relationship with you, that they would cry out to Jesus that they would realize that you have died for their sins to restore and reconcile them with their creator. And Lord, that as we as your people realize what you have done, we would take up our calling and responsibility to not only celebrate you as priests, as priests, but to function in our role as a holy priesthood as well. We pray this for your glory and your name. Amen. And as we jump into a, a closing song, I want to bring up a passage of Scripture just as we talk about the priesthood of Jesus and how he's the greatest priest. Uh, there's this wild passage in Scripture that Peter talks about. And, and what's interesting to me is he actually correlates the priesthood of Jesus with our role and responsibility now as the church, as the people of God. And he says this in 1 Peter 2.9. He says, But you are a chosen race, a royal what? A royal priesthood. A holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. In other words, now that we know Jesus is our greatest priest, now that we've had a mediator who's brought us back and restored us to a relationship with God, now guess what our responsibility as a calling as a church is to be? It's to function as a priesthood. It's to function as people who restore people in the relationship with God and their creator. Now that we are restored to our creator, we have this beautiful responsibility and mission to be a people of restoration as mediators between us and their God. And so as we, as we sing this last song, establish the work of our hands, I, I hope that it's a prayer for us that, that we would realize that the only way we can function as priests is to know Jesus as priest. And the only way anything of meaning and significance will be accomplished by us is when God is working in and through us. And so as we pray this last song, I pray that it would connect with us in our mission to be the priesthood of all believers.